All right, welcome everyone to Sober um, Stories of Badgers Empowering Recovery. This is a podcast with Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, and my name is Cindy Brzezinski, Director of Wisconsin Voices for Recovery. I'm a person in long-term recovery and have a background in both mental health and substance use disorder counseling, as well as research. Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps unite people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies. As a diverse coalition of recovery advocates, we serve as a statewide network to link services and support to those in need. Joining me today is our very own Erin Claiborne. Erin is the Outreach Specialist for the Engagement to Recovery Program with Wisconsin's Voices for Recovery. Welcome, and we look forward to talking with you today. Thank you, Cindy. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. So to start, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself, including your professional background and your current role. All right. um, I started working in the field of recovery in 2019. Um, I became a recovery coach actually in 20, 2018. Uh, I worked at a couple different uh, recovery community organizations as well as a, a mental health um, residential facility. And currently I am uh, the outreach specialist for the engagement to recovery program with Wisconsin Voices for Recovery. Awesome, awesome. We're going to talk a little bit about your personal experience with drugs and alcohol. Um, how are you introduced to drugs and alcohol? Um, in, when I was younger, um, uh, I basically saw my mother and uncles and aunts, you know, drink beer and things like that um, when I was a little bit younger. But um, in my teens, I started uh, drinking and smoking with my older cousin. He's about three years older than me. And we would hang out with him and the, the old, I would hang out with him and the older guys and just kind of, you know, uh, get pulled in a little bit, um, you know, to what the older guys are doing. I su- I suppose, um, this is how I would describe it. Uh, I was uh, introduced to more illicit street drugs, um, in my teens as well, but that was what was in the environment. Um, my personal use of um, harder, more illicit um, narcotics started a little bit later in life, uh, around you know, in my 30s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like uh, the community was definitely an influence um, on you, your use. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was exposed to it, uh, although I had not, um, you know, in my teen or early 20s, not done um you know, any hard drugs to the point where I was, um, you know, addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have, you know, periods in my younger years where I would try something, but there was no addiction added to it. Um, with the exception of alcohol, I was pretty drinking pretty heavy mm-hmm. um, when I was a little bit younger, um, you know, smoked a little, little weed here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, my drug of choice was actually alcohol. So um, I already had the knowledge about harder drugs, heroin, cocaine, crack, um, that, you know, primarily due to, to the environment um, and the community I lived in. Mm-hmm. And what was appealing to you about using drugs and alcohol? Um, when I was younger, basically, you know, smoking weed and or marijuana and drinking alcohol was acceptable uh, as a recreational drug. Um, you know, and it was just cool to do it. That's what everybody did. There was no stigma really related to drinking and smoking, um, when I was younger. Um, the thing that was really 
appealing to me looking back was that it, you know, kind of lowered my inhibitions. Um, it's kind of a, a confidence builder, um, so to speak. Um, I felt more, more comfortable socializing and having, you know, uh, what I would consider as stimulating conversations. Uh, I, I kind of felt like it helped me be, you know, a little more, you know, verbally eloquent or interesting, um, when having conversations with, with people and it, you know, it kind of gives you like drinking alcohol, uh, gives you or me, uh, like a little bit of a boost of confidence, I guess, with those lowered inhibitions and that, um, you know, ability to socialize better. Um, Mm -hmm. is that's, you know, that was appealing to me. It made you just kind of a, like I said, like a confidence builder, maybe more interesting or more likable, um, you know, common, common, um, interest with the individuals who I was socialized with. Mm-hmm. So that social influence was, was there. Um, yeah. What, yeah. Um, so what led you to continue using? Um, well, in my, in my teens, um, and being in high school, it was, uh, honestly, it was kind of exciting making connections with classmates who used, um, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was almost that big man on campus feeling the sort of, you know, kind of like a feeling of prestige, uh, if you will, um, you know, just kind of making those connections in school with mm-hmm. other, you know, students, co- classmates who use um, that social acceptance, um, again, common, common interest. Um, when I was, you know, mo- using more of the harder drugs, uh, it, uh, I can say it was definitely that feeling, that euphoric feeling. Um, you know, it it created a um, that that feeling of euphoria, and once a person really experiences that, and I'll speak for myself, once I experienced that feeling, um, I I would say the chase was on. Um, you know, using cocaine, crack it increases the same chemicals in the brain that makes people feel good when they eat or, or drink or have sex. Um, so that feeling of euphoria was definitely something I, I can look back on and um, know at that point, it was like, Oh, I want more. And the use just in, increased. It became more of an addiction than like almost a need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it started out as having a, like a heavy social component and then at some point it switched over and you had that physical component as well. You mentioned chasing that. Um, how, how long were you addicted to drugs and alcohol? Um, I started drinking at 16 and I stopped at 47. So 31 years of drinking and I started uh, using crack when I was 34 and I stopped at 47. So about 13 years in total. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's talk a little bit about finding recovery next. Um, if you could tell me a little bit about uh, what did you experience that finally led you to recovery? Um, the actual incident that um, led me to recovery. Um, now, now, mind you, I had made attempts prior to this time to, uh, you know, 
reduce, quit completely, cold turkey, um, you know, AODA, inpatient, outpatient. Uh, but the thing that really, the incident that happened was I had a car accident. I had a passenger in the car. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, no one was injured, not myself or my passenger, not a scratch on either one of us. Um, the vehicle was uh, totaled. I ended up in a swamp speeding uh, on a night it was raining heavily, very heavily, uh, mm -hmm. very, very intoxicated. Um, but the actual experience was when I woke up that morning. It wasn't, you know, I have been incarcerated before. Mm -hmm. But when I woke up in jail, I guess, you know, it's like called the, the, that aha moment. I mm -hmm. Just the realization came to me like, this is not how I'm supposed to live my life. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I didn't grow up this way. I wasn't, my morals and values are, are not synonymous to, with what I'm doing. Um, it was just like, you know, I'm just messing my life up. I got kids, um, you know, how am I going to end up? It was just, uh, I don't know how to describe it. That just, you know, an aha moment, a moment of clarity, a moment of clarity. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. That turning point where things shifted for you. Oh yes, definitely. And, and again, it was more of a spiritual thing it wasn't a feeling of being in jail it wasn't a thought of you know probation or going to jail or anything like it was really a a spiritual awakening at that point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so how were you able to find recovery from that point um i knew about um and i also attended uh the 12 step fellowships before uh Again, like I stated, I had been an outpatient, AODA, um, inpatient, um, residential facility, um, you know, over the course of years. And that was due to, at that time, those those times when I was in, an inpatient or outpatient, it was a requirement. I was forced. I wasn't ready. I know that. I didn't want to, but I, I had to... Um, you know, abide by what my probation officer said for me or the judge. So uh, in reality, that wasn't, it was kind of like just doing it to get by. Um, but the thing that happened after I really decided, after I had that moment of clarity, um, my probation officer actually, he saw the passion I had and the desire um, that I expressed to, you know, be, be sober and he told me about Recovery Coach uh, Academy. I had never heard of it, so he gave me the information. I explored it. And uh, learning about different paths to recovery and other things that I had learned through other um, programs really catapulted my um, my passion for recovery, my passion mm -hmm. to learn about recovery and, and substance use disorder and addiction and harm reduction strategies. Um, so that was, that was a thing that really, um, I guess, kicked things in gear for me I was mm -hmm. learning. I had more than one option. There was more than one path to recovery. And that that's been really, you know, significant, uh, to this day. Mm -hmm. So discovering that passion and, and realizing that that's something that you're very interested in and want to want to pursue. 
Oh yes, definitely. It it has been uh my it's been my um my strength, my um, you know, not only when, you know, speaking with others, it always, you know, keeps me uh balanced and reminds me of uh things I need to do and how I need to proceed um when exploring feelings, behaviors, um actually dealing with those feelings. Um, that I have and making a recognition of how to deal with them, which is what I didn't do, you know, in my time of substance use disorder and alcoholism. That That is how I dealt with my problems with, mm-hmm. you know, drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about um, what barriers did you encounter finding recovery in the African-American community? Oh, uh, what barriers? Um, well, to start off with, uh, in the African American community, there's, um, from my experience, is, was, and probably who knows for how much longer um, that we're on this planet that there's a, a huge availability of drugs and alcohol. There's drugs everywhere. Um, you know, um, you know, every, every corner, almost every, you know, um, neighborhood that is, um, underserved, um, there's alcohol or, or liquor stores everywhere. Um, everybody has their way of celebrating with alcohol and drugs for different occasions, regular, I mean, aside from just the daily use, um, there are other barriers, uh, you know, living in a community where you're at the, the majority of your time, um, you know, running the old, using friends, um, even trying to kind of isolate myself uh, for space and time to avoid those old, using friends. Um, it creates that, that element of isolation and boredom. And, and it's not really good to be stuck in that place because you're, you know, I found myself, you know, looking for something to do. And I would, you know, I'd go outside and right away I'd run into a person who who I used with or somebody who was selling it. Um, that was an issue. And, and there, from my experience growing up, there was little to no resources um, that, that I was aware of in my community to help with substance use disorder and, uh, and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing really the the widespread use in the community for a variety of like occasions and reasons um, was really hard to um, kind of get away from that unless you isolated um, as well. And the lack of um, knowledge of accessibility or the lack of accessibility in general of resources um, and support, it sounds like. Yeah, that's definitely what it was. There, there weren't a lot of support systems, um, you know, that I was aware of. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was very, um, I was an outside kid. I like to be outside. Mm-hmm. I can't recall any time that I've ever seen a place, seen an advertisement, a billboard, anything on TV about, um, you know, um, substance use or alcohol recovery. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it just wasn't wasn't made publicly available or known no if there no. were resources that that is exactly yep that's it mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your experiences of stigma. Um, before you became began your recovery journey, what type of stigma did you experience personally and how did it impact you? Um, I'll uh, kind of break it up a little bit. So, um, there, there wasn't any stigma associated uh, with using marijuana or alcohol. It was acceptable. It was social. It was what everybody did, um, you know, at least in my community. And that's where I primarily use. Right. Mm -hmm. So there really wasn't any stigma with uh, with marijuana and alcohol. When I started using hard, harder drugs, crack, um, I um, I primarily experienced self stigma. Mm -hmm. um, my 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 family uh, never really addressed uh, what they saw uh, or any changes they saw in me, or even things they may have heard about with my drug use. Mm -hmm. um, but when I would come around. Um, I would have, you know, maybe this paranoia uh, of what people had saw in me by me knowing what I was doing or, you know, visiting relatives uh, after, you know, hour after I just got done getting high. Um, and in my, my mind, it was like they're looking at me a certain way or they're not having a conversation with me in the usual way, um, there was a lot of self-stigma because um, mm -hmm. I never received it um, from relatives or really anybody in the community, um, not verbally. Um, mm -hmm. I, I guess like there was an avoidance um, of people uh, in the community, not necessarily people who I knew. Um, I just felt a lot of self-stigma. Mm -hmm. How did the stigma associated with substance use disorder deter or prevent you from seeking recovery? Oh, man, the feelings is just, I, I, I felt, I had feelings of embarrassment. Um, I felt misunderstood. Uh, I felt like I was untrustworthy. I, I felt ashamed. Um, and I think that shame came from the guilt um, that, you know, I put on myself for doing what I was doing. Um, for me, it was like people in the community who didn't understand the disease of addiction, uh, judged me by my disease and, and not by my character. And that's not who defines me. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, experiencing that definitely made me present myself as if everything was all good. Um, uh, you know, and I was, you know, definitely reluctant to give in any indication that I needed help due to my addiction. Um, so I didn't seek help because of that embarrassment, because of that shame um, that I that was, you know, real or perceived. Um, that's what stigma does. You know, it's that I my perception was I was being stigmatized. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it probably was true, but I was just more focused on that self-stigma. Um, so I knew I wasn't doing what I'm supposed to do or what I was supposed to do. It was really hard, you know, like I can't let anybody know anything. I can't reach out for help. I'm not going to reach out for help. 
I don't need it. I can do it myself. I'm a man, you know, so. It's really that self-stigma causing a pretty substantial barrier for reaching out. And, you know, what you had mentioned before about there not necessarily being um, an increased like public awareness of resources for support during that time. Um, it sounds like that made it even more difficult. Yeah. So, so very detrimental. Um, you know, I was already coming down on myself and I don't need anybody else coming down on me, you know? So it was, that was pretty tough. Yeah. If you could talk a little bit about uh, what type of stigma do you experience currently, both personally and professionally, and how does it impact you? Uh, you know what, to be honest, I've learned so much about stigma, uh, and I continue to try to learn more about it. And I kind of came to my own realization that stigma from people who don't understand addiction is really the real moral failure. Um, mm -hmm. so addiction is a thing that, that decreases the morals in a person or within myself. Um, and it's really, it's not it's not me and the morals I was taught. I understand the stigma is like, you know, it's judgment without knowledge of knowing something. Mm -hmm. uh, and this kind of inspires me to, to try to educate myself and, and, and others by reducing stigma and stigmatizing language. I don't particularly apply it to myself because of that realization that I had to give myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I certainly recognize it and address it when it's present. Um, a, a, a person can tend to, it, it, people kind of like fear what they don't understand mm -hmm. uh, and aren't supportive of it. If it's not in alignment to what, what, what they believe. Um, so I, I just really don't let it affect me too much because I understand that. It's a lack of understanding, knowledge, empathy, mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly out there. I just try to apply it to myself. Uh, I don't, I don't want to ever have that self-stigmatizing thought about myself. Um, so that's that's how I approach it. I'm not saying that I haven't experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, there was an incident that I did experience. I applied for and trying to register to uh, to book an a Airbnb and they sent an email back saying just I, we're kicking you off my page that was it and I know I have mm -hmm. criminal history due to that are due to substance use whether it's possession or use that stigma right there I don't ever want to feel that so I mm -hmm. try to really hard to understand that others don't understand addiction and they don't understand how damaging stigma is. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that was pretty like that was pretty frustrating to experience stigma in that way. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, and in addition to that story, after it didn't work for me, I was frustrated. Mm -hmm. My wife applied for the same Airbnb, and because of the same address, they kicked her off the site as well. Wow. wow. Stigma. So, yeah. So stigma can impact a variety 
a variety of areas, self-stigma, access to things, opportunities. Um, yeah, that really speaks to um, how, how stigma is, is destructive. Yeah, it just it has so far of a reach, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to ask you a few questions about the community impact of alcohol and other drug use. Um, living in a community or an environment where drugs and alcohol were readily available, what was peer pressure like for you to get involved with using drugs? Um, like I said before, I was already aware of drugs and alcohol due to the community or environment I was uh, raised in, um, you know, with the relatives and just people in the community. So I really didn't experience a lot of peer pressure. I was actually submissive to the invitation to use drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, there was never uh, any time that I can really remember. It was like, I'm not going to try that. I'm not going to do that. It was like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was so acceptable um, and so so prevalent in my community. Um, and when I was, you know, when I got older and I started using harder drugs, I actually kind of sought out where the drugs were because um, I was chasing it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got it, yeah, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of thing. Um, I really wanted to know where the drugs and alcohol were, who had it, and 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 how I could get some. Um, that was my goal. I, I didn't have to be pressured um, mm-hmm. by anyone else. Sure, sure. Could you describe a little bit what the availability of illicit street drugs looks like in your community? Oh, man. Uh, drugs are available everywhere geographically, but, you know, in the African-American community and other communities of color, drugs are very, very accessible. Uh, young kids sell drugs. Adults mm-hmm. sell drugs. All genders um, have their hand in the drug trade. It's everywhere. Um mm-hmm. You know, in the African-American community, it's just everywhere. Um, it's even kind of glorified, you know, mm-hmm. just being in the neighborhood. Oh, man, I'm I'm high, man. You want to smoke? Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's celebrated. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, all it takes is that once and, you know, you're off to the races. Uh, that's how it was for me. Um, yeah. It's just too much of it that is it's infiltrating is just over flooding the community um and it's so easy for these younger kids who are who don't really have a lot of direction to get caught up in that that uh that life because the availability is is you know it's so so there it's all there mm-hmm. so very accessible very mm-hmm. And how did that impact your substance use and recovery? Um, well, it, because it's everywhere, especially in the in the African American community, um, it was always in close proximity, uh, always in your face, and recovery or recovery supportive organizations or groups was not. Um, mm. So when I felt that I needed the support. Um, I used what was accessible to me as a means of support or, or relief. 
And the problem solver um, that I used was drugs and alcohol, and it was always available. Um, I what I I knew that I needed to remove myself from that environment uh, and those destructive methods uh, that I used to 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 cope with or escape. Um, so the impact was no availability to resources. Kept using those are my resources. Mm -hmm. A tough situation to be in. Yeah, definitely. Um, really know where to turn and, uh, you know, in those communities and maybe even trying to seek help outside of the community. There's a, a, additional elements to uh, the impact of your substance use or and recovery. Um, mm -hmm. There's so many things that factor in culturally um, and environmentally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you think perpetuates the cycle of the distribution or sale of illicit street drugs in your community? Uh, the people who sell drugs, honestly, because I've done it before, uh, their attraction to constant cash flow, um, mm -hmm. the distribution and sale um, in the community is kind of like, you know, somebody, somebody who's selling drugs uh, could make the same amount in one day selling drugs as they would um, working a job and receiving a paycheck for two weeks, mm -hmm. sometimes two, three, four, you know, four times more. Um, it's a lot of cash. Um, there's also, <laughs> excuse me, there's also um, <clears throat> the element of power and privilege that comes along with uh, being a drug dealer selling drugs and being able to spend the money as you please um and other things uh included like and, and not to sound stereotypical but people in my community who sold drugs who had money it was almost like a you know aside from having the cash it was like the thought of I can get any girl I want because I have money. Um, mm -hmm. All of those things really factor in um, not coming from a community where, where it's underserved and, and, you know, to some degree po poverty stricken. Yeah. It's very attractive. Yeah. I want to make money. I want to live good. So mm -hmm. that's why it continues to be an issue. That's mm -hmm. what perpetuates it. Mm -hmm. And what do you think perpetuates the cycle of drug addiction in your community? Um, so, and, and I would say in the African-American um, community and maybe some other communities of color um, or in some cultures, uh, people look down on other people who, who look, who look for support or, or help and, um, and that certainly happened to me. Um, it, it caused me to be hesitant because I didn't want people to look at me as I was like I was weak or um, I also believe that I need to handle it myself. I can handle myself, you know, um, like nobody can tell me what to do, what's good for me. I know what's good for me. I'll handle it. So that was, you know that's what I've seen in myself and in conversations with other people, 
Mm -hmm. I've said, I've heard the same thing. I don't need anybody to help me. Um, you know, I'm not weak. Those kind of um, self-destructive thoughts and behaviors mm -hmm. definitely perpetuates the, the cycle of drug addiction in the community. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is not only the, the stigma of, of using substances, but also stigmas around um, being weak or not weak. Yeah. You know, there's so much self-reliance in the community. Mm -hmm. That's what creates it. And that feeling of stigma, um, you know, stigmatized for being weak. Mm -hmm. oh, that's tough. That's tough. Oh, yeah. Why do you think it continues to be an issue in communities of color? Definitely the lack of diversity and cultural competence. Uh, you know, poor, underserved communities that lack access to adequate care. Um, very, very few support systems, uh, more so with community members and even family, um, because there could be a lot of, you know, individuals in a community who use substances. Uh, there could be family members who have addiction problems. Um, mm -hmm. There is some lack of representation from the public health uh, uh, services in, in, in some communities of color, not all public health, but mm -hmm. um, there, there certainly is. Um, there's disparities in healthcare. Um, some, some providers lack cultural awareness. Um, you know, there's a fear of incarceration. Um, you know, just to admit that, you know, it, to admit to maybe like a probation or a parole officer, uh, you know, I've been using. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to even present that they have that issue for, for these reasons. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the stigma and the fear and just a, a, back, a big lack of <clears throat> resources in a community. Um, and again, like I said, in my, in my position, there, there, I, there was none available to me mm -hmm. that I was aware of. So it continued to be an issue for myself. It's a lot of barriers, a lot of challenges. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, statistically and, and looking at, at the numbers of um, addiction rates among communities of color compared to other races or ethnicities it's really really um one of the highest with the african american mm -hmm. community all right now i'd like to take a little bit of time to reflect on some challenges to recovery in african-american communities circling back to your personal journey and recovery what have you learned that inspires you to continue maintaining your recovery um what have i learned that inspires me um one thing I've learned is that I am not alone. I am not the only person or the first person or the last person who has experienced um, substance use disorder, stigma, uh, alcoholism. Um, I, I have people I can trust and talk to. It's really a great life to live, um, you know, sober. Um, I've 
I've done a lot of learning and, and um, I'm still learning how to address physical and mental and emotional struggles without substances. It is hard to do, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I've, that inspires me is a feeling of uh, like self-worth. Um, a common question in life, I guess with everybody, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but uh, I'm, is what's our purpose here? What is my purpose here? Mm -hmm. um, my purpose is to live a healthy life. My purpose is to give back to others uh, what I've learned, the wisdom I have, the, the knowledge that I've gained. Um, and that's a great feeling, giving back. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of person who likes to see people hurt or struggle. Um, so I, I, I just, I want to give you what I got. I did it. You can do it. Like, trust me. I it, it's it's not impossible um that really inspires me to you know kind of be um a, re a representative of the recovery community uh not only that but with my kids like dad's a stand-up guy like you know back then dad was a stand-up guy but you didn't know what i was doing behind closed doors but i want to have that presentation to my kids and, and my community members um he does the same thing outside that he does inside. He's, you know, sober. He's learning behaviors and addressing them. So that, it really inspires me. That's awesome. That is very inspiring. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. After finding recovery and reflecting on your previous substance use, what did you learn about yourself? Uh, um, I learned that from my previous use, I learned that I have a have an addictive personality. Um, I learned that I cannot be a social drinker because I tried that before and was unsuccessful. Um, I found out subconsciously um, that I usually intended on getting completely inebriated when I drank. And when I didn't intend on getting totally annihilated, it happened anyway. Um, mm -hmm. That I, that's not something uh, I can do. That's not something I even want to do. But I, you know, in my previous attempts, I tried it. I'll drink socially. I'll have one. Never turned out that way. Um, mm -hmm. I found out that I used alcohol and drugs as a temporary suppressant uh um i try to use drugs and alcohol every time an issue or a problem uh needs to be addressed or resolved um i use drugs and alcohol to avoid feelings and responsibility uh to reduce stress or what i perceived as stress um and basically, I just didn't want to deal with the realities of life. Um, that's what I learned about myself. Um, you know, so it sounds sounds like a lot of self reflection and a lot of growth. Yeah, and there's you know I still do you know self reflection, and I still try to grow. I'm I'm not perfect yet. I don't. I'll never be perfect. <laughs> So it's a constant, um, 
it's a constant um, learning process that's so, so worth it. Um, I don't ever want to slip back into those old patterns of behavior. Uh, not saying that they don't arise, but I don't ever want to slip back into them to the degree that I, I once was. That's great. That's awesome. And so what changes happened in your life after finding recovery? Oh, I, I really found life to be enjoyable. Um, like real life, they're not the, the drug induced, uh, life that I was living, not the alcohol based, uh, you know, social time that I, I, I had, um, my circle of friends decreased after I found recovery and then it increased, mm-hmm. but it increased with individuals who were more honest. Um, they were positively encouraging they were caring <clears throat> caring mm-hmm. uh i found myself making better choices uh like really paying attention to the things that truly mattered uh in, in my life um i learned to identify identify my behaviors exploring where they come from uh and again that's that's still an ongoing process um there's emotional and mental healing that comes um, with with the healing and the damage done by drugs and alcohol. Um, and those are things that I, I really um, try to, try to um, address. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you had had some healing and life became more meaningful and fulfilling for you. Oh, definitely. Definitely being able to remember like something as simple as being able to remember what I did yesterday uh, Mm -hmm. without the cloudiness of alcohol and drugs, you know, remembering dates, Um, not that I have a perfect memory. Um, You know, we all have to maybe jot things down on the calendar or give ourselves reminder reminders. But, you know, there are a lot of things in life that are so important to me that, you know, I'm like I'm making adjustments. I'm rearranging the schedule. Um, any, you know, just living that life of positivity and being there for, for others. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And what advice would you give a person in African-American community who is battling addiction? Um, the, the biggest thing really is getting over the shame. Um, Mm. just don't be ashamed that to seek help. Um, there's others who've gone through this, who are going through this, who can really, really, um, you know, provide some, some guidance. And how about advice for someone in the African-American community seeking recovery? Um, from my, from my experience, uh, don't isolate yourself. Um, get out there and, and like to research, find a fellowship or, or, you know, um, somebody you can rely on and trust to share your struggles and and who will show some empathy and support um it's not necessarily gonna come to you you have to go to it um the same way for me the same way i went and sought out drugs and alcohol but i need i'm looking for that help now i need to go seek that out because that's out there too just like the drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. so really seeking that help looking for that recovery looking for those resources and support yeah, you got to, because it'll just, you know, as soon as you you find it, you'll find so much welcoming to 
to to you know help you help yourself mm-hmm. you know and that it's okay to ask for help it's okay to seek support it's not a sign of weakness yeah that no judgment it's you know we're all, we're all in together <laughs> and all in so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. is there anything else you'd like to say that we haven't yet discussed today um recovery uh and being sober it is is so beautiful it's you know so uh extraordinary uh you can have a healthy you will have a healthy gratifying connecting life um you know with 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 being sober and and uh without the use of drugs and alcohol that that creates more problems it creates more disconnection um it creates aspects of um criminal behavior um you know it took me a while to come to that realization uh and it it took a you know a, a defining moment in my in my life to make this happen Everybody don't have that opportunity to live through something and make a change. So, you know, if if someone's struggling, please, you know, check your options. There's a lot out there. There's many uh, organizations, agencies that are recovery-based, recovery-focused, recovery-friendly, and and address yourself address your issues beyond a substance use disorder, because there are so many things that are taken away from you um, from addiction. So just don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to, to reach out. Awesome. Awesome parting words. Uh, Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, It was a pleasure talking to you today, um, hearing more about your story, your perspective, really important things that you've discussed Um, And very inspiring as well. So thank you again very much. It is definitely my pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me uh, as a guest on our Sober Podcast. Awesome. Well, until next time, have a good day. You do the same. Thank you. Thank you.